you would please join me in the reading of God's word. Please stand. I'm going to read two passages tonight. One is in the text that we'll be preaching out of mostly, the other out of Ezekiel. So, Daniel chapter 3. There it is. Verses 13 through 18 is where we'll begin tonight. On the right page. There we are. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then Ezekiel chapter 8, starting in verse 16. And he brought me into the inner court, the house of the Lord, and behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here? that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. This is God's word. You may be seated. You might be thinking as you settle in, we've had a lot of announcements and stories tonight. Is there an adjustment to the length of the sermon? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll be in chapter three here. We finished up chapter two last week, and I, I do have to say I was very, very thankful for John taking that extra week. In chapter two, I was definitely blessed in hearing just that additional insight into chapter two. So we're, we're beginning chapter three, and chapter three represents a um, sort of a break in the book, in the story. Chapter three is unique. Uh, chapter three is interesting because Daniel, who so far has been our hero, our main uh, character is not mentioned at all. He's not here at all. And so chapter 3 seems a little out of place. But it definitely fits not only what is being taught through Daniel, but it is the perfect succession. 
uh, in the story. And so as we look at this, I would like to pause just for a moment and pray that the Lord would give us insight and wisdom. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, as we Lord, look into chapter 3, look into your word, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that we would dig deep and that we would find gold, that we would find treasure in your word that we might take with us, that we might enjoy, Lord, and share with others. As we look at chapter 3 and some of the heavy topics that are taught here, Lord, I pray that we would remain with the perspective that you, above all, want nothing but our love and care and to glorify yourself through us. And so, Lord, I pray with those eyes we would look at this passage and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Chapter 3 um, follows chapter 2. I'm sure you figured that part out. Uh, there is a temptation here to think that this is the very next thing that happened right after chapter 2. However, there seems to be possibly a, a time break here. It does, isn't necessarily the case that this happens immediately after the incident where Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't have to. In fact, there's probably a little bit of a break here. In fact, we don't know exactly when this takes place. We do know that it happens after the events of chapter 2 because uh, we'll see here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are treated as governors. And so that we know that was one of the outcomes of chapter 2. So we know it happens after, but we don't know exactly when. And I think that's important because of what happens in the very first few verses. But before I do that, I wanted to just highlight that so many things have led us to this chapter. And in fact, just by reading the the title of the, uh, the chapter in your, in your Bible, or uh, I think Mike even shared, you know, hey, the next topic has to do with the fiery furnace. I think we all know this story. If we've, had, if we've spent time in church, whether we were kids or even just growing up in the church, this is a story that's probably familiar. In fact, I could probably have any one of you come up and tell the story, Daniel chapter 3, right? We've got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are confronted. They won't worship that which is presented before them. And so they say, we're not going to worship. And so then they're thrown in the furnace, and the Lord shows up and saves them. Right? That's, so that's kind of the story. And this is one of those. And there's so many of these in Daniel. This is, the, this is the flannel graph story. How many of you heard this story when you were a kid, and you remember this story, and it's kind of carried through? Yes. <clears throat> Me too. There's always a challenge with these type of stories. The first time we hear these stories, because they're, they present so well on a flannel graph, they present so well to children because there's really clear lines of, of good, evil, righteousness, unrighteousness. We see good examples and we see really big, amazing things that God does. They're very memorable, right? They're very... Very picturesque. You can put, you, I'm sure you could even in your mind maybe even picture some of these things that, that you heard, right, as children. And then if, if you didn't know the Lord until you were an adult and you heard these stories, they're often presented sort of like a kid's story in that same way. And this is sort of separated out from the rest of this. But this is, 
here on purpose, obviously, but there's a succession that's gone on. So, so a few things. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't just show up here out of the blue without anything uh, happening before. Right? We've already read the stories that have gone on before. And this is a fitting next step in what the Lord is doing in the lives of Daniel and his friends and Nebuchadnezzar. So let's think back. We're not, we're not going to go to that passage, but think back with me. Go to chapter 1. What happened in chapter 1? Daniel and his friends are taken from Babylon. It makes it very clear. Nebuchadnezzar, from the plain of Shinar, goes out and takes these youths, brings them to Babylon. And they're put into a program where they're going to learn. And, and honestly, this program does have a big, big piece of brainwashing that kind of goes along with it. And the point was they would take these noble youths and they would put them through this program and then present them before their own people to say, see, even your own leaders are now in line with us, in league with us, we have care for them. So now just peaceably just become part of the empire. It's sort of the idea and the concept. And that's what they really wanted. They wanted to just absorb this. So Daniel and his friends were brought over in that first group. What did Daniel and his friends do? It says that they committed in their hearts, right? They, they made a resolution that they would not let go of these righteous principles that they had learned. They would be faithful to the Lord, and they're given a test, right? They're, they're brought in, and they're put, made part of this program, and they, and they say, here, you eat this food, and they say, we, we can't do that. Most likely, it was stuff that was offered to, to idols. They said, we can't in good conscience do that. And so, we, uh, we propose, you allow us, right, this test. For 10 days, we'll eat this, right? Um, someone has gone on and marketed it as a diet. Probably wasn't the intention, but that test is put forth, and they were shown to be healthier than everyone else. So, everyone was put on that, and everyone was so happy, I'm sure. We were eating meat and drinking wine, and now we have vegetables and water. Thanks a whole lot, Daniel and friends. So that was interesting because it was sort of a resolution in their hearts, kind of just a deal made in the background. Right? But still, God showed up. Chapter 2. These men already are starting to have a bit of a reputation, right? But Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream. He won't tell anyone. The magicians, the soothsayers, the practitioners of magical arts and whatnot, and the Chaldeans, they all are brought there, and he says, tell me the dream. They said, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. Only someone who can speak to the gods do that, because only the gods can do this thing. Daniel steps up and says, I, have the, I, I know a God in heaven who can take care of this. And so he and his friends pray. They pray in secret. They pray in private. They pray themselves. Daniel's then brought before the king. Limited audience. They then share, or Daniel shares, what the Lord revealed, and it's a miracle. It is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and then gives the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed, he praises the God of heaven. Yet again, God shows up. He does as a faithful God would, and he delivers his people. He gives mercy. We're then led to this story. 
chapter 3. This story, without even going into it, just a little explanation. We're going to take this thing that was first done in private and closed doors. Then it was done with limited audience before the king. This is now going to go fully public in this chapter. All right? Let's read a few of these verses here. King Nebuchadnezzar, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. He set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Pause. Notice a couple of things. First, the list of people that are invited. This is different from the list in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is listing uh, practitioners of magic without... Uh, getting too deep into that. These are all sort of their religious leaders, right? They're priests that have been invited. Is that this group? It's different. These are governors, justices. These are all positions in the government. And they're all requested to come out to the plain of Dura, outside the city. So it's a little bit of a trek. It's not just they can just hop on a cart or a rickshaw. I don't know. I don't know what they did and just go to the middle of the city. They had to travel out of the city to the plain of Dura to go to this image. Here's the next thing. In your mind, when you think back into that story on the flannel graph, when you were a kid, what does this image look like? Someone just call it out. Or don't. But I prefer you do. What does it look like? A giant man, Nebuchadnezzar. Have you looked at the description, like the, the measurements of this thing? Six cubits across. A cubit is 18 inches. It's a very narrow man. And a very tall man. This is basically two semi-trucks set one on top of the other. What six cubits? Five feet? Four and a half feet? Something like that. It's not very wide. So the, the measurements are very weird. Why, why would we have a, a statue of a person? In fact, it doesn't say it's a statue of a person. It just says it's an image. Those dimensions match more of like an obelisk, like you'd see in ancient Egypt, or you'd see in Washington, D.C. This obelisk is most likely what it, what it was, but it was maybe fashioned in some sort of an image. We don't have any other descriptions. And this is why you'd say there's, there's a gap between two and three, because the, the thought is, is that, oh, he had this dream of this image, and so the next chapter, he makes a big image. And I think that's the connection that's made, but that's not what's happening here. So he invites all of these officials, government officials, to come out to this plane to look at this thing. We don't know exactly what it was. It had some sort of connection to the gods, some form of worship. So they all go out there, and it's really important that we understand that this is not a strictly religious event, right? None of the religious people religious leaders, if you want to put it that way, were invited. This is a government thing. Remember, we talked about this before. This is how government was done at that time. It was connected, linked, very specifically to their religious practices. It was normal, it was common for these types of religious practices to be brought uh, at the same time that you would have an official government meeting, a finance meeting, whatever. Military meeting. 
This was on purpose. Can you think of a reason why? Why would worship be a part of the governance? There. What is one thing that worship provides? Think for us. What does worship provide for us? When we gather together and we all are focused on worship, what is the outcome? Unity. It brings it together. So you can understand why. For this king who's leading such a huge empire to bring all of these people together and to make sure that there's something that unifies all of them. Later on in this chapter, it talks about all the peoples and tribes and tongues should bow down. These magistrates, governors, all these officials were of, from all over the place, all over the world, all over the empire. This was supposed to be the thing that unified them. So it could be that Nebuchadnezzar is like, I have a great new thing. We're going to build this new thing, and we're all going to get together, and we're all going to go out there and have this ceremony, and we're all going to be unified, and I'm going to know that all of my guys are with me. There's going to be unity. That's not exactly what happens for everyone there. Verse 3, then the state traps the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, the officials, the provinces, gathered for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. That's, that's a great orientation meeting, by the way. Get in line. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of musical... Uh, every kind of music, all the people, the nations and languages fell down and worshiped the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the end. And it was just a happy day and they all went home. No, it wasn't. Verse eight, so that happened and we're done with that part and we're moving on, right? Nope, we're not moving on because something happens at this point. There's an accusation. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward to maliciously accuse the Jews they declared to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every... Do you remember what you said? Every, every person and all that stuff, everybody? When all of those different instruments... I don't want to cap, keep reading all these lists. That they're supposed to worship the golden image, right? You remember that, king? Do you remember that? Whoever doesn't fall down, they're going to be cast in the burning furnace. Do you remember that, king? Remember when you said that? Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over... I'm not going to say who but whom you have appointed of the affairs of the province of Babylon. Oh, then they did. Let's just be real specific. It's these three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods and they don't worship the image that you set up. Problem. Got these accusations. These people who show up and they say, hey, there's someone who's not, there's these three guys who won't fall in line. Now it's really interesting and, and and you, you can kind of go back a couple pages and look at this. It was really only at the end 
of chapter 2 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were actually named by their Babylonian names. Before that, we still call them by their Jewish names. They were still called Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <clears throat> the end of chapter 2, they do this, but they, they firmly here identify them by their Babylonian names. So pause for just a second. just want to highlight this because it is important. Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious, and his name was changed to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, which was one of their gods. Mishael, whose name means who is like the Lord. If your name's Michael, it's very closely associated with that name. Meshach is what he was renamed, and that means who is like what a coup is. Uh, who is like what a coup is. Azariah is the Lord is my helper, and Abednego is what he was renamed, and it means servant of Nego or servant of Nebo. So these these names that they had, and they'd be given to identify them with being worshipers of Yahweh, they were then renamed so that their names now honored and glorified foreign gods. And it's interesting that these ones who would accuse them used their Babylonian names. Hey, these ones, and they identify their names, their names now reflect this type of worship. They won't bow down. They won't do what you say. The, the charge is twofold. One, they won't worship these other gods. But the bigger point is, they won't do what you say, king. And out of all these different things, I think one of the things we learn about Nebuchadnezzar is he has a little bit of a pride problem. And I think he also has a problem because if these who are the governors in Babylon won't do what he says. Now we've got a governmental problem. They won't fall in line. The, uh, the temptation in looking at this chapter is to make it purely a religious issue. This is also a job performance issue. They won't do what the king says. Both are in play. This impacts their job, their profession what they've been trained for. They're supposed to be governors, and governors do what the king says, but they won't. This was part of their job, this corporate worship that they won't engage in. This is, this is pretty much treason, while at the same time being that they won't worship the same God. How, how can we unified, be a unified group if you won't worship the same gods? What is your problem? I'm sure all these sort of things are going through their head. So let's, let's look at what they're accused of. They won't worship those gods, and they won't do what Nebuchadnezzar says in this case. Is this accusation true? Is it true? Yeah, it's not a false report. It's not... They're not making anything up about them. Were, were these ones who accused the Jews, were they being honest? What they said? Yeah. Yeah, they were. There's no false report here. This is brought to the king, and this, it's true. They just won't fall in line. 
verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, this is what we read earlier, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is this true? Are these accusations true? That you will not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. I want to hone in on this last phrase in verse 15. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is that God? I want to pause here for a second. We've been talking a lot about prayer. We've been talking a lot about in community praying for the hand of God to move. We've talked about stories, sharing stories of what God is doing. So we've looked at this now. Now, now think think with me through. We're going to talk or think through this logically, this whole story, this whole scenario. So they're told, we're all going to go to the plain of Dura. We're, we're going on a government field trip. And they say, why? Well, we've got this image out here. I'm sure they were told what was going to happen, even if they weren't, when they showed up on, I don't know, some sort of bus. That's what I think of. Maybe it's like a horse-drawn bus. Somehow, I don't know how they got out there. But in your imagination, however they're arriving, they look out there and they see this massive image and they see all the things and they see the symphony setting up and they're, they're, they're tuning their bagpipes. How do you tune about Whatever you do to bagpipe. Apparently the Irish are there, I don't know. But they show up. What do you think is going through their mind? At that point, they look and they see that and what do you think that they think? You know, we're just going to go over some financials. We're just going to go over last year's numbers. We're going to look and see some of the needs of the military. We're going to go over some city planning things for Babylon. You know, you got those hanging gardens being built. We need to divert water. How are we going to do that? Some city planning. No. I mean, maybe. Maybe they talk about that. But they see this image. What do you think is going through their mind? Oh, it's going down today. Because you see, in chapter 1, when they were youths, they made that decision. No, we're going to stay resolute. We're not, we're not going to move on this thing. So when they see this image here, what do you think they're thinking? I think immediately what they're thinking is, Lord, you better save us. Because I don't see a scenario where we get out of this. Right? We're way far away from the city. You might be asking, where's Daniel? Well, it said in the end of chapter 2 that he was kind of supposed to be in court. And he's with the Magi. So the governors all go, and Daniel's probably like, maybe he's praying for them too. He knows what's going on out there. So they show up, and immediately, Lord, please, somehow, wherever our seat is, wherever our assigned seats are, put us in the back or something so that no one sees us. And maybe that's exactly what happened. Because it seems like they got through the first event 
And it was only because you had these others who pointed them out that all of a sudden they get in trouble. So maybe initially they prayed about it and whew, no one saw. We're okay. We're in the back. We got through that first one. Didn't compromise. We're doing okay. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer. We don't have to worry about this anymore. Nope, they were accused. So now as they're being brought up to Nebuchadnezzar, what do you think is going through their mind? Another really quick prayer session that's happening. Lord, please preserve us. Show us favor. Help them to remember. Oh, yeah, we're Daniel's friends. Remember? Just can we not have to do this thing? I mean, don't you think at a certain point they're fervently praying, Lord, please help us here? And they show up and is the king happy? Oh, yeah, it's you guys. You guys are fine. No, it says that the king is furious. They know they're in trouble. The king basically says, hey, you got another chance. We're going to play the music. We're going to try this again. Maybe he did recognize and said, okay, guys, we're going to dispel this. I know that you worship the one most high God. But just, you know, for this meeting, can we please just have the bow down and then we can just move on? So maybe there's that opportunity. Now think about it for a second. What would you do in that moment? Do you do the righteousness gymnastics in your head to say, maybe we can all collectively drop something on the ground when the music starts? And we all just, I don't know, at the same time in unison, somehow all kneel down and pick it up at the same time. And the Lord knows we're good. What's going on in your mind at this point? What could you do? What could you do to get out of this? Because a question pops up for the faithful when they're presented with this kind of situation. Lord, why would you do all those things? Chapter one, chapter two, all the other things that have happened. Why would we go through all of those things just to stand before the king and just be killed? Clearly that's not it. There has to be something else. So what do you do in your mind to justify your actions? between you and the Lord for a second. But let's, let's see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> I still can't believe they said this. I read it over and over, thinking maybe I misread it. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Whoa! No, I don't think we're going to answer you. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. You see, remember you asked us a question, who's able to deliver us? Our God will deliver us. So I don't think we need to answer you. He will deliver us out of your hand. So didn't get creative. We all dropped a coin at the same time when it just happened to be when the music played and we all happened to kneel and didn't do any of those things. They flat out said, you know who's going to deliver us? God is going to deliver us. Our God will deliver us. That's who. Right out of your hands, king. Nothing you can do about it. 
verse 18. But you know what? And if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So they're resolute to this point to say, you know, God, the God who would deliver us is Yahweh. He's our God. He's the one true God. He's the one high God in heaven. He's the one God that we serve. But you know what? Even if not, we want everyone to know that we would not bow down, that we don't worship your gods, and we're not going to do it. Now, you tell me, don't really, in your heart, is that your answer? Is that your answer? It was theirs. But remember, this is not just an isolated story. They had the time when they were kids and they saw the Lord show up. And they had this time where God had to deliver this message to it and God showed up. This is, this is born out of a lifetime of experiences where the Lord shows up where the Lord is merciful, where the Lord is gracious, and so then there's an answer. And the answer is the truthful answer that they know. And it's not the, well, you know, we, didn't, we just can't do that today, or can I forgot something back in Babylon. The answer is, no, our God won't allow us to do this because we worship the one true God, and we're not going to do it. And if we have to die, we die publicly so that everyone knows that we wouldn't worship these other gods. That's the answer that they give. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar saw the error of his ways and let them go. The end. No, that's not what happened at all. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed. Now he got a physical change in his face. Now he's just mad at these guys. Against Shadrach, Meshach, and Mango. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. What furnace? Why, why is there a furnace out here? Who is putting a furnace in the middle of... Have you ever seen pictures of this area of the world? Why do we have a furnace out here? Most likely this was... Um, this could have been one of... They have these uh, furnaces set up in the side of hillsides and they would use it a lot of times to fire glass. So if you've seen pictures of the gates or the walls in Babylon, it's this beautiful glass that they would... Uh, put on the outside of their gates. It's just really, imp- it's beautiful. This might be one of those things. So this furnace was made to melt sand to make glass. And this is a little hyperbolic. Heat up seven times the heat. And there's no one back there with some sort of abacus going, well, it's a thousand degrees. and so, you know, It's no one doing that. It's euphemistic. It's like, put it up as high as it'll go. Right? We're just like, put that thing to 10. Or 11. Put it to 11. Yeah, put it to 11. Heat it on up. And so they did. At this point, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do you do? You have one of these prayer sessions again. All right, Lord. (laughs) I guess this is it. At what point... Do you just resign to the fact that you're dead? You're going to die. This was it. 
Yet, still in faith. Hey, the Lord could show up, but that's really hot. And I want to pause there for a second because sometimes for us, what we do, our prayers are weird. Because sometimes our prayers are in such a way that if the first thing didn't happen that just no one noticed, or the second thing, like maybe he'll recognize, like some of these prayers don't work, we think the Lord's abandoned us. That it's going to lead to pain and it's going to lead to suffering so then somehow God didn't hear. That somehow God didn't answer. How many of us have found ourselves in that type of situation? We're having that kind of prayer, and it doesn't work. It's not happening. And so in our mind, we say, clearly God hasn't answered us. Maybe we were wrong. Maybe we are going to die. Yeah, we're just going to die. Maybe that's it. I want to pause for a second. Let's go to Ezekiel real quick. Let's be honest, no one goes to Ezekiel quickly, but we're just going to cover this a little bit here. We don't know exactly when this is happening, if it's corresponding to this story, but around the same time, God is revealing something to the prophet Ezekiel. Contemporary of Daniel. It was probably taken in the second group of exiles. And he's the prophet of the Lord. And he's in Babylon, in the empire there. And the Lord gives him visions. Have you read this part of Ezekiel? God gives him visions of what's going on back in Jerusalem. If you have a chance, read through these chapters, chapters 8 through... 10, 11, what's happening is God gives Ezekiel a vision of what's happening in the temple. He says, look at the temple. And he tells Ezekiel, look, look, look behind this wall. They break open this wall in the temple. And either it's a secret room or a pathway or something. And guess what they're doing? They're putting in their false idols they're putting in their images of other gods. And there's secret worship taking place inside the temple. The elders, the leaders, the priests, they are, they're actually doing this in secret inside the temple. God says, what an abomination. And the little part that we read. says, hey, Ezekiel, look, look over here. Look at, look at, the, look at the court. Look, look at what's going on here. You have people standing and looking out, looking east, and they're worshiping the sun. Looking east from the temple, that's the Mount of Olives. So they're, they're looking out at the Mount of Olives, and they're worshiping the sun. And then it says, go to a different place here, and on the stairs here, you have people who are mourning for Tammuz. That is another form of just pagan, thoroughly pagan Worship. It was a Sumerian thing. It eventually became the Adonis cult. They're, they're mourning for Tammuz. This is a religious practice. They're doing all these things inside the temple. So you know what the Lord does? I'm condensing the story down. The Lord says, I've had enough. 
I'm done. And the Lord actually leaves. The glory of the Lord leaves the temple. There's this little succession. It leaves here and it goes out to the gate. No one notices. Goes out to the city gate. No one notices. Goes to the Mount of Olives and then it's gone. The presence of the Lord leaves. It's gone. And this is happening while Daniel and his friends and the others who were taken are in, are in Babylon. The presence of the Lord, where they would go to worship, it, he's gone. He left. The priesthood, corrupt. Let's go back to the furnace. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've taken their stand. And now they have to lie in it, or however that phrase goes. But I'm still in Ezekiel. That's why I couldn't find it. Okay, Daniel chapter 3. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not sure why he had some of his elite soldiers tie them up, but he does. Probably to prove a point. He cast them into the fiery furnace, and then those men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their garments. So just however they were, they were just bound up. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think backdraft. It's heated up so hot, they open the doors. Boom, this big fireball consumes the other men. they're, They're dead. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. I think we know this part of the story. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, true king, you can count. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Didn't we throw three in there? Because there's four walking around. That fourth one does not look like the other three. That fourth one looks like a son of the gods. What is going on? The presence of the Lord left the temple. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound, thrown into the fire first with the intention to kill them. Who did they meet there? They literally met their maker, but they weren't dead. They're, they're, the ropes burned, and they're walking around. Could the Lord have shown up when they were praying on the way to the Valley of Dura? Could he? Yes. Could he have shown up? When they were praying in the back, not wanting to be noticed, could he have shown up then? Sure. Could he have shown up when they were standing before the king, made an impressive show, and really shown that king what for? Oh, yeah. 
Lord waited till they're already thrown in, bound, no hope, nothing. Headlong. Lord shows up. So the Lord leaves the temple. Where does the Lord show up? Where there are faithful worshipers. It's kind of amazing when you put those, those things together to recognize. Had they not made those decisions, they would not have met the Lord in the fire. First Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. On that day when God shows up, they will recognize him. In Acts chapter 6, we're given the testimony of a man named Stephen. Stephen had been appointed a deacon because of his faithfulness. If we look at Acts chapter 6, verses 12 through 14... Uh, chapter 6, 12 through 14, it says, And they stirred up the people, and the elders, and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, this is Stephen, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak word against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will customs that Moses delivered us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. So Stephen is brought there, this faithful man, and they say, he's, he's, uh, he's speaking these things against Moses, and they look to him. Stephen then says, and the high priest said, are, are these things so? And Stephen said a lot more than they had thought he would say. He gives a whole sermon here. He preaches the whole story. The whole story of redemption through the Old Testament. And he arrives at a poignant place. Verse 42, chapter 7, verse 42 says, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. It is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech, the star of your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Stephen speaking here says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought, uh, brought it with Joshua and they dispossessed the nations and God drove them out before our fathers. 
verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice, he's given an opportunity to give a witness. He gives a witness who shows up. Jesus shows up. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a voice, a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the, at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll get to him in a second. And they, I'm sorry, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He's given an opportunity to give a witness. He faithfully gives it and then is killed for it. But before that happens, who shows up? Jesus shows up. That man who was holding the coats, a couple chapters later, looking to persecute more people, is on the road to Damascus. And what happens? The Lord shows up. He is visited by the Lord. They don't always die when Jesus shows up. But Saul, he's commissioned. His name becomes Paul. I think we have somehow missed the major point of this story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we make it like this event where they just kind of did what they thought was right and they're thrown in the fire and they don't die. But the truth is, is they're giving every opportunity to compromise and they don't. But everything the Lord did with them all leading up to it led them to be bold and to say, no, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. And they meet the Lord. But they don't meet him outside the furnace. They meet him in the furnace. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, our Lord says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is um, for us not an easy lesson to think through. We will often gather together. We will pray, Lord, show us your glory. Lord, show us who you are. Let us know you. Lord, we want to understand you. And so the, you know what the Lord allows? The Lord allows suffering that we might know him. And sometimes we're presented a fiery furnace as an option. That's where we might meet him, is in the crucible of faith. 
and it's difficult for us to talk about. So much of our world, so much of our society is very much based on health, comfort, and continuation of life. Our Lord, however, says, he who seeks to save his own life will lose it. But if you consider yourself dead already, pick up your cross, follow me, I'm going to show you a thing or two. How glorious our life would be if every day we started with, Lord, I'm already dead. I count myself as already dead. Lord, show me your glory, even if it means I have to step into the furnace. It's not a happy message like you'd expect, but it is a glorious promise that in suffering, whether it's because of our job or our faith, of our faithfulness to the Lord, we hang on to that, we hang on to the resolution that we've made, we pick up that cross and we walk. Then in those times of the fire, that's where we'll meet him. That's where he might be waiting for us. That might be the fulfillment of all of the prayers that we have been praying. Lord, show us who you are. Show us what we are supposed to do. We have but to follow and be faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples that you've given us before. Thank you for the examples that you give us today. Thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunities to live out of faith. Yes, it does sometimes lead to pain. Yes, it does sometimes lead, Lord, to the outcome we did not want. But thank you for your faithfulness that even in the fire, you walk in the midst. Even under the pressure of accusation, you meet us there. Lord, thank you for the path that you walk before us and that you ask us just simply to follow. Lord, I pray you'd give us a faith that is strong, a faith that allows us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow you. And we pray that you would receive all the glory for it. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.